So I did a little mad scribbling during the sitting while you were all just empty, essence, open-hearted, taking the world in your heart. I was, I was thinking. And my stray thoughts uh, drifted to the importance of being um, resilient and steady in this world of massive craziness and change. And considering that, that sitting in the middle of it all, as we sat, just connecting with the whole of life right where it connects with us, uh, was, um, was a means, a way of, of developing that, that sense of steadiness and resilience. And that it, is, that it is essential that we find a place of balance and ease, that us finding ourselves being just blown by the winds of, of these out-of-control circumstances, both of our inner and outer life, does not help anyone. We cannot really so easily be a benefit if we are just constantly being blown uh, by the, what we call the worldly winds. And so it really is a, a radical, at least in my mind as I was thinking, it's a radical form of social action to stop, to keep quiet, and to look within. And fortunately, I had with me the simple passage from the Buddha, from the Anguttara Nikaya, the numbered suttas, where the Buddha said, loss and gain, disrepute and fame, praise and blame, pleasure and pain, these things are transient in human life, inconstant and bound to change. The mindful, wise one discerns them well. Observant of their alterations, pleasant things do not stir his mind, and those unpleasant do not annoy her. All likes and dislikes are dispelled by her eliminated and abolished, aware of the stainless, griefless state she fully knows having gone beyond. So the teachings are constantly pointing to the capacity to discover and rest in that place in us that is, that is untouched by what visits. <laughs> And to me, that understanding that place in us that is untouched by visit, that griefless, stainless state, that it, it's out of that that our heart is able then to be there for each other, be there for the world, be there for our near and dear ones, be there with, with balance and resilience. Because inevitably, these winds, these transient winds, will blow through our lives. And of course, part of the message there is you can't rely 
on the, just the four pleasant side, the, the praise and the gain and the pleasure and the fame, that everyone's life is marked by eight worldly winds and that, that somewhere, if we are actually going to be able to be of benefit, we have to know that, that place that's right in the middle of it and have to be able to have the quality of attention, the strength of heart, to be able to accommodate uh, all eight. If you don't have all eight, you're not one of us. So we might as well find a way to, to flow with it. Because we all know that there is the eight winds, and then there is the, the very, very optional element of how it is that we relate to them. And some will relate to them with compounding them. We call it shooting the extra arrows, the arrow of, 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 one, the arrow of pain that comes with, with change and fluctuation. And then the second arrow that comes to say, to say, this shouldn't be happening to me. You know that story that's, that someone wrote that expresses the, the Buddha's teaching. He said somebody came, you know, someone came to the Buddha and said, I may even have it with me. Yeah. Somebody came to the Buddha, a farmer, complaining to the Buddha about his problems. And he told the Buddha about his troubles farming and how either droughts or monsoons made his work difficult. He told the Buddha about his wife, how even though he loved her, there were certain things about her he wanted to change. Likewise with his children. Yes, he loved them, but they weren't turning out quite the way he wanted. When he was finished, he asked how the Buddha could help him with his troubles. And the Buddha said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. He said, what do you mean, said the farmer? You're supposed to be a great teacher. The Buddha replied, sir, it's like this. All human beings have 83 problems. It's a fact of life. Sure, a few problems may go away now and then, but soon enough others will arise. So we'll always have 83 problems. The farmer responded indignantly, what's the good of all your teaching then? The Buddha replied, my teaching can't help with the 83 problems, but perhaps it can help with the 84th problem. What's that, asked the farmer. The 84th problem is that we don't think we should have any problems. Anyway. Sorry about that. <laughs> See, everyone in here has heard this story before. <laughs> Just before the group tonight, I was thumbing through my little Enlightened Heart book, and it really, I think, speaks to what is possible what we, why we practice, even in the midst of, of the craziness of our world. When the mind is at peace, the world, too, is at peace. Nothing real, nothing absent, not holding on to reality, not getting stuck in the void. You are neither holy nor wise, but an ordinary fellow who has completed their work. When the mind is at peace, the world, too, is at peace.
nothing fancy. And it's so easy in the midst of it all, in the midst of, of, all, of, our, of all of our planning, all of our strategizing, that's uh, maybe the innocent response to all the, the worry that we have about ourselves or about the world. But in, in all of that, often the last place we look for, for the wise response, for the social response, is to that in us, the one as... Ajahn Chah calls it the one who knows, Budo, that in us which is awake. That's why in our teachings we don't go to the we don't we don't go out for refuge. We don't go shopping for refuge. We don't go to distraction for refuge. We go to the Buddha, to Budo for refuge. And we rem- remember, oh Budo, the one who knows in us is always peaceful. What we're knowing may not be peaceful at all, but the knowing itself, when I know that, that griefless, deathless state of being aware, I may be aware of many, many things that are not peaceful and not griefless, but I, but I rest in that griefless state that can, that can meet the joys and the sorrows with not so much reactivity. What, what a better offering to this world. All of us, if, whatever our circumstances, have to find that, that immovable place, that center, that, that ground of being, that equanimity. Uh, otherwise, we're, we're just adding to the, to the drama, to the complication of things. This is a dukkha plane. I mean, I, I think a few weeks ago I, I listed at least 20 kinds of, of suffering. And just to, today, how can you, don't, can't even get through the day without just a, an assault, whether it's politics or earthquakes or floods or hurricanes or, or shootings or injustice in just countless ways. We can't obviously wait till it gets better to be okay. We can't postpone finding that place of balance. In fact, that's what the world needs. It needs that balance in order for us to love. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's hard to be in love when we're in a state of fight, flight, freeze, tension. So we have to do that which will allow us to return to our natural state. As this is waiting, but most are so, we're so preoccupied with our thoughts. And then with our thoughts, we keep making the world, repeating it over and over. Thinking about, thinking about, think about doesn't resolve the world. I was, I've been noticing in my orbit, you know, I've just led a, another 
retreat over the weekend. This time it was up in the beautiful, wild, you know, beautiful prairies of, of Alberta in the city of Edmonton, but it's surrounded by prairies and vastness. And, and the Canadians, interesting thing I think I can say here, I think the Canadians in general, and this obviously doesn't include everyone because they have their, they have their injustices and their, the First Nations people are marginalized and it, it's, there's a lot of pain there as well. But in, by and large, Canada, people are happier. There are less of them. They didn't have slavery. They don't have the legacy of that, that chronic pain that we are literally two minutes from in this country. They also have health care. And they're, they're more at ease. But what I see, even with all of their level of comfort, is that which is no different than, than us in the sense that they are they chronic, they tend to be in a chronic state of, of, needing, of needing to become someone, what the Buddha called bhava, toppling forward, and often the engine of that bhava of becoming is some kind of lack or shame, some, you know, that some basic view that I'm not okay, and if I work hard enough and get farther, then I'll be okay, then I'll be at peace. So the end of the rainbow keeps getting farther and farther away and the, the, the tension in the mind gets more and more, the spinning of, of planning, the, the capacity to know that there is, in the midst of all this winter, there's that invincible summer, no way. It sounds like a nice rational idea, but uh, that's for other people to know that I'm okay just as I am. That I'm the, as Thich Nhat Hanh said, I'm the, you're the richest person on earth who've been going around begging for a living. He says all day, stop being the destitute child. Come home, reclaim your heritage. And we know it, it makes sense. But our mind says, I've got to be different. I've got to prove myself. I have to defend myself. I have to become. So there's the theme of, of becoming driven by lack, a, mis a case of mistaken identity. Because I never find, I've never found with a person, anybody, on present evidence, in real time, I've never seen one person who was lacking, who should be other than the way they are, who's none other than a perfect expression of life. But our mind keeps driving us into this sense of, of associating our well-being with, with what's next and be, needing to be different. So there's that theme. And then there's the theme on top of all that of needing to be seen and accepted, needing to be approved of by others also driven by lack that just gets increased as the more we, more we go. That, that passage from the Buddha when that, from the story of Rohitasa who, who, who wanted to go to the end of the world and he had this great power to walk fast and he tried for a hundred years and he, and he didn't make it. He died. He was a deva. 
And then in his next birth, he came to the Buddha and said, hey, I had this great idea because I had this power and I'd walk to the end of the world. I'd try to go and get there to the end of the world. And I died. Can one get to the end of the world by going? And the Buddha said, no. You can't get to the end of the world by going. But only those who come to the end of the world become free. But he didn't stop there. He reminded Rohitasa what I'm trying to point to tonight. Within this fathom-long body, with its perceptions and senses, right where you are lies the world, lies the cause of the world, lies the end of the world, lies the path leading to the end of the world. The end of the world of me making and my making and becoming and go, you know, having to going out in search. It comes to the end in this moment of stopping. And then once we stop, where's, where's, the, where's the problem with ourselves? I don't mean the world, the world, the, the big world that we live in. Where's the problem? Where's the Where's that engine in real time for getting somewhere else? For needing to be somebody else? Needing approval, needing acceptance. Where is it? No one can find anything missing here. Lacking. Everything's been granted. In those moments that we step out of that wheel of of mind, but most of us are just pretty much carried along by our, we're much more fascinated by our, our thinking mind and our becoming, and the story of ourselves that plays through our mind. I always say it's the story of somebody that doesn't exist, and somebody that doesn't exist has got to be insecure, and so if insecurity creates lack, and lack generates confusion. And so it's radical social action to stop and keep quiet and really check things out in real time. You know, when I, when I do that, I, I, thoughts of the world, thoughts of the you know, it's not possible to know what's happening in, in the wider world without being really affected by it. I can feel my, my heart actually quiver a little bit. But there's a, there's a place that I have access to if I stop or if I just notice. I make a shift from being just lost in, in my reactions to noticing, oh, this is sadness. This is uncertainty. I can, this is heartbreak. This is, wow, overwhelm. I can meet it with peace, with a peaceful presence. And at least for that moment, it's workable. Doesn't help at all to, to keep ruminating about it. All of the how, I mean, it's impossible to ruminate enough to reconcile 
the fact that we're sitting here so comfortably tonight when half the world is, is being decimated and there we have a potential for nuclear holocaust. I mean, it's, can't reconcile that. But, if, but it is, like I say often, it's not, maybe not possible to have peace in the world, but we can little by little, moment by moment, be at peace in the world. So this engine of lack and needing to be seen, needing to, to make it, needing to become somebody great, that, it's just exhausting us. It's not letting us find that center, that groove. You know, for many years, I, I noticed that, that, um, that especially in relationships, I would find myself in a state of kind of hypervigilance, making sure that I was, that I was, uh, I ended up, I'll, I'll put it this way, I worked for love. I worked for constancy, you know, for, for affection. And, I, and I'd often attract people in my orbit who, who I had to somehow prove myself to. And I finally realized that it was, that almost every person I got involved in, it felt like a bad drug trip. And then I made a, a conclusion at a certain point. This is after some practice. said, I'm willing to stand alone in the truth. Stand alone in the truth of, my, of what I know to be. I'm, I'm okay as I am. I'm, I am not going to work for love again. I'm not going to go out of myself for search. And interestingly enough, that would require that requires that instead of me doing all the adjusting let let others start to adjust to me and sure enough i started to attract more cast of characters in my life who who saw me who who i didn't have to work to get them get to be seen and then and then in in uh, in work life I noticed I was trying to fit in there too. I was working for love in the world. Saying, oh, you know, this is what makes you a valuable person. You get this degree, you get this, you get this much money, you get status, you get this. And I was floundering, absolutely floundering. And sure enough, that old reliable mantra came into my mind, I'm willing to stand alone. I don't fit in. I do not fit into the model of the world or how I should be or who I should become. I don't fit in. And when I stopped, and I said, okay, my life isn't going to look like anybody else's. I'm going to stand alone right in the middle of it. And the world starts adjusting to me, and I fit in fine. I ended up in this seat. It's a strange seat. <laughs> but nevertheless, I, my hunch is, I, I don't want to make this a recipe for everyone, but I have a hunch. If you really, really trust in awareness, 
trust in the present moment, trust in your capacity to sit in the middle of it all, the world will conspire to support you, will mirror back to you your, uh, the qualities, the intelligence that you need to, to work it out. It just has not made anybody happy to try to reach the end of the world by going. It's within this fathom-long body, right where you are, with its perceptions and senses that lies the whole beginning, middle, and end of the path. As Kabir said, Oh, how I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty. You don't understand that what's most alive lives inside your own house. And so you walk from one holy city to the next with a confused look. So all this going on behalf of a a fictitious, lacking self, which is of course just part of our mind stream that we came to completely outside of our own doing. We were, you know, I was talking to someone recently whose whole family was just driven by this need to be the best of everything, the, the masters of the universe. And this, this young woman that I was speaking to, she's just so lovely, but but driven by a feeling of lack or that she needed to fit in, become like everyone else. It's how sad that Hakuin Zenji, how sad that people ignore the near and search for truth afar. Lost on paths of ignorance, we wander. But those who meditate Those who stop wipe away beginningless crimes because the pure land is near, he says. Is truly, is anything missing now? Now, of course, if you consult your memory, you think about the world right this moment, of course, there's lots of missing. There's a world that's a mess. But is anything missing now? If we don't have this place of, of... stainlessness, of grieflessness, of immediacy. If we don't have that, then we're just blown by circumstances. So it may seem like denial or bypassing to stop, but it really is radical social action. To be that one person who's standing alone in the center of it all. Able to, as Rumi put it, able to offer to everyone else what they're longing to hear. You know that poem, Admit Something, Admit Something. Isn't it true that everyone you see, you're saying to them, love me, love me. You don't say this out loud, otherwise someone would call the cops. This need in us to connect says, why don't you become the one with the full moon in each eye? giving everyone what they're longing to hear. How do we do that? 
We are the full moon. It's our natural state. Awake, primordially awake. If we miss that, it's so close. If we miss it, we wander a long time confused. Oh, how I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty. You're already immersed in the very thing you're searching for. So, as, as the, all the teachings say, wake up. Or you could say stop. Or just notice. Relate to your lack. Relate to your shame. Relate to the things that arise in your mind stream. Don't act out of those. We all have some version of insecurity that comes from a case of mistaken identity. But this stopping allows us to notice, oh, this is lack in my mind. This is shame. And shame does not define you. Lack does not define you. They are just conditions. They're moods. They're mental states. We can all, may we all come out of the tangle of our case of mistaken identity and live in peace, live in harmony with ourselves and the people who have to live with us every day. And, and maybe we can, not then, but in addition, we can be of benefit because we have, we're not busy trying to prove ourselves. We can be as if we have a lot of activists in the room. Not the activists in the room mostly aren't trying to to prove themselves. Just care. Free to be, free to care, free to act. So to me, radical social action is to free your mind. Remember last week, emancipate yourself from mental slavery. Only but yourself can. Only yourself can free your mind. It's the same story every week. Here's one of the ways. I want to leave you with, with uh, the Dalai Lama. One of the ways that he, emances, he has emance, emancipated himself from slavery and, free, and freed his mind. Every day, he, his sadhana, his practice. I think it may be slowing down a little, but apparently four hours a day of practice at night, in the middle of the night. And this is a, a passage that he inclines toward, or that he utters every day. May I become at all times, both now and forever, a protector for those without protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with oceans to cross, a bridge for those with rivers to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. Dalai Lama's daily prayer. He's human. We're human. Just plant the same seeds over and over. Let yourself be taken over by life. But 
just that, that sound, refuge, protector, that requires, it asks you to be still, to be able to meet this world without so much drama, without so much reactivity, and an open heart. Anyway, may all of us attain stillness and an open heart and be of benefit to all beings. May any of the benefits and the fruits of our practice tonight, today, and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. Thanks for your attention. Thanks for your practice. I feel better about the world right now because you've been sitting still. All beings are cheering us on whether they know it or not. Happy week, happy broken heart, happy Rosh Hashanah, (laughs) happy New Year.